Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. John Schmuck, Paul Dottino with you. The phone number is 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter if you want to get in touch that way we can. Of course, talking New York Giants football with you. It's all presented by Coors Light. Uh, Paul, a couple things I want to touch on you today. Let's yes. start with the news from yesterday first. And just really quick, uh, because Lance and I discussed it on yesterday's show. Boy, it's never quiet in the NFL. Rarely do you have a front office change at this time of year, but we saw one yesterday with the Jets. You know what, John? Apparently, a bunch of insiders suspected that something was going to go down with McCagnin. I will tell you, I thought that the Jets were pointed in the right direction the last two years. So did I. Now, having said all of that, I also wasn't sure about Adam Gaze being hired as the head coach. I have a lot of reservations about him based on his track record and resume. But nonetheless, the roster, I thought, was pointed in the right direction. For that reason, I was surprised that McCagnin was dispatched. Well, I think the question is, why was the decision made now and not in January? Well, and again, that's what some of the... the, um, the people who really know the inner workings of what was going on with that organization, they're saying that McCagnin may have been on thinner ice than any of us thought, but the timing is still shocking. It is. All right. Well, and that's my, my, that, and that's my take on it. The timing is just, wow. Just wow. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, I'm on the same page as you in terms of the timing. Two topics I want to touch on before we get to your calls at 201-939-4513 that Lance and I kind of got on offhand yesterday. And I think you guys took a call about this on Tuesday, which is kind of what prompted the conversation. Let's start with Saquon Barkley. And this is how I want to go go with Saquon. Running backs, we know that their longevity can be short in this league. right? You're looking at seven to eight prime years at most. Okay, So I guess my question for you is how much do you help his long-term longevity and also his effectiveness late in games and late in the season by limiting his carries to an extent. And if you do want to limit them, how do you go about limiting them? And that's kind of where I want to go with this because we know Saquon is the most explosive player on the Giants. He's their best skill position player. How do you give him a break? How often do you want to give him a break? What percentage of the snaps is a good percentage? And I think it's a real tough balancing act for this coaching staff to have to walk as they go through the year. You're going to call me reckless, <laughs> but I give no consideration to any of that. I use him like Tom Coughlin used Tiki Barber. So he's going out there, he's rushing 25 times, he's catching eight passes, and you're fine. He, he's going out there, and he's carrying the ball maybe 18 to 20 times a game. Not well, 25, but 18 to 20. Okay, well, that that's not every carry then. Okay. Well, no, no, he's not getting every carry. Right. But Tiki, Tiki, I think Tiki was averaging about 23 carries a game. So let me ask, you would want to keep Saquon to his prime years. So you would say you want to keep Saquon around 300 carries for the season, right? That would be a good number? Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. I, I, I don't think I'd want him up at 340, 350. Right, because once you get to 340-350, that's when you're starting to talk about 20, 23, 24 carries a game. Yeah, and I'm I'm going to try to keep them a little bit lower than that. So, yeah, I'm thinking about – I don't have a problem with him getting 300 uh, carries a game, and I also have no problem with him, you know, catching 80 passes, 90 passes a season. Because I looked at Tiki, and I I, I was amazed at Tiki's production. Once Tom Coughlin got here – 
and said, you know, we're going to fix the fumbleitis. Remember, a couple of years before Tom got here, Tiki was already becoming the workhorse back. And when I say workhorse back, I'm talking about touches, not necessarily running plays. But he was the focal point of the Giants' offense uh, to some degree, even before Tom got here. But then when Coughlin got here, he became even more the focal point of the offense. Okay, I'm with you. And he and he lasted, you know, I, I get it, first few years of his career, he didn't do a lot. So that may have had part to do with it. But I still think Tiki had another two or three years to play, maybe two. I, I, happen, to, I happen to agree with you. I don't think we're going to get to the point here when Saquon's 29 and we look at it and we say, boy, if he would have just had only... You know, three, you know, 280 carries instead of 315 carries. He'd be able to play another two good years and, you know, be, be productive for two more years. I don't think that's how it works. So right. I'm with you. I agree. I think they should use him the way they want to use him. Now, for effectiveness at the end of games and throughout a full season, you also don't want to overuse him. You want to keep him fresh, right? Which means you can't march a running back out there every single series of every single game. So I guess my question for you then is, is how do you think is best for the Giants to go about giving him a break? Is it a situational thing where maybe short yardage or third down they use somebody else? Is it a one series or possession at a time thing that they do and just leave him on the bench for a drive and go from there? What do you think is the best way for the Giants to go about limiting his carries to the point where you're not going to hurt his production in this current year? I think it goes by flow of the game and the individual matchups that you're facing on a given week. I don't think you pre-program it. I don't think you take them off the field on third downs. Third down is one of the most important downs that you have. I, I want my best players on the field on third down to, I, to create matchup issues. I might consider getting them off the field on a third and one if I wanted to go with a jumbo package and just tell Goldman, okay, go well, get that first down. How about I this? might consider doing that. Well, I, I hear you, but let me throw this thing out to you right real quick. Last year, they used him on all the short yardage downs, right? Yes. He was their short yardage back. He did everything. The Giants were the best short yardage team in football last year. Yeah. So With why a lesser would, offensive line. Right. So why would they want to change that? Again, I think the offensive line being better would allow Goldman to probably be as effective in, in the short yardage as, as Barkley was last year. See, and my, and my argument is the same for third down as it is for red zone, and Based on how the Giants used them last year, I think they believe the same thing. Scoring touchdowns in the red zone is so important in terms of winning football games that you want to have your best players in the field, the same way you want your best players in the field on third down. So I think the Giants are going to handle the way they did last year. And, and frankly, unless you, unless you see him struggling in short yardage situations, which you know I didn't think that would be a strength of his coming into the year. He ended up being good at it. I think you just pick out in the first half or second half, maybe one in each half, one possession where you say, all right, Wayne Gallman, go out there, be the running back. Now, if the drive goes eight, nine plays, and you want to roll out Barkley on play eight or nine, okay, I get that. Mm -hmm. But I think that's how they're going to handle it over the course of the year, more so than it being situational, one play here or there. Because I think if they... Their thought process is probably, if we give them a drive or a series or uh, a couple sets of downs in a row where he's sitting... That's going to allow him to recover a little bit. That'll help him to be more effective when he gets back into the game. See, I think we're talking a little bit of two different things because you just talked about short yardage, but then you talked about red zone. Third and one at your own 46 is a heck of a lot different than third and one at the other team's 17. That's a big difference for me. But there, why? Because if it's third and one inside the opponent's red zone as opposed to third and one at my own 46 – Maybe I'm keeping Barkley in if I'm at their 17. 
Yeah, but I, to me, I'm not. I'm not doing it necessarily at my 46. If I'm taking them out in short yardage, if I'm going to do that, but I'm here's gonna, the thing: though, I'm going to give somebody else the reps. Why would you think it's going to be outside the red zone? But what makes you think the Giants are going to do that based on what they did last well, year? Well, that wasn't what you asked me. You asked me what would you do? Okay, right. Okay, that's fair. Okay, well, now how do you think the Giants are going to handle it? That's fair. Um, I'm not sure yet, John, because I haven't seen enough of what they're game planning out during camp. Uh, is it possible they change it and alter it? Sure it is. I don't think we're going to know until the regular season how they're going to do it, to be honest. Probably with you. not. Although we will we will get to see. We would practice every day during training camp. We will see some of their short-yarded stuff during training yeah, camp that's true. that they won't show during the preseason. Mm-hmm. So we may get a little bit of a hint and a sniff where other folks won't because they only might watch the preseason games. Uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think what you're saying is the chalk, but I don't necessarily think that it has to be that way. And I don't, know that, I don't know that they think it has to be that way yet either. Well, I don't think it has to be anything. That's why I posed the question. I think it's something that you can figure out, and, and teams have done it different ways sure. where— Heck, you could even say, look, we don't think first downs is important, so we're going to take Saquon off the field on some first downs. By the way, Tiki uh, ran for 357 carries uh, the year before he retired. No other year did he run for over 330. He did run for 320 twice, which, again, goes to the 20 carry. That's my model. And he was 278 or more each of his last five years, which which puts you right in that 19 to 22 carry That's my model. The the Tiki Barber model is my model for Saquon. Now, before I get to my second topic, I want to talk about this other thing with you really quick. Okay. I know you and Lance talked about how many catches you think Barkley's going to have this year because you thought that that he's going to lead the team in catches again, right? I believe so. All right. How many do you think he's going to get? I think it's going to be probably 93. He had 91 last year. Okay. I think he gets 93 well, this year. I'm going to throw an interesting stat out at you, okay? What do you got? Now, we both agree that the Giants' offense changed significantly in how they did things at midseason last year after the bye, right? Yeah, and sure. you figure they're going to try to carry that over this year? To some degree, yes. Yes, okay. Saquon Barkley splits last year. First eight games of the year, he caught 58 passes on 71 targets. Mm-hmm. The last eight games, he caught only 33 passes on 50 targets. I think his receptions are going to go down by by double digits. I think he'll be between 75 and 80. Would not shock That me. might still lead the team, by the way. It could still lead oh, the it team. W- it will lead the team. But he will lead the team. I, it wouldn't shock me, John, just to hammer your point home. It wouldn't shock me if he caught 83. I wouldn't that shock, would not shock I wouldn't me. shock me if you caught 73. And I don't think that's a bad thing because I think a lot of those 90 catches, Paul, weren't designed plays where they wanted to throw the ball to Saquon. Understood. I think a lot of those were, oh, crap, Eli's going to get obliterated, get the ball out, dump it off to Saquon. Well, or, I mean, or or it's third and 25, Eli's getting blitzed, dump down, you know, catch, go, run. Well, even if you look at Tiki, he only had two seasons where he caught 70. Different offense, different era than that, yes. Than obviously. Yes, yes. But, you know, if, we, if the Giants are going to subscribe to my hope, and that would be that Barkley's going to touch the ball roughly, roughly 390 times a game between receptions and rushes, roughly 380, 390, somewhere in that vicinity. Yeah, uh, yeah I think that's fair. So, okay. Yeah. Well, we're not, we're not, we're kind of splitting hairs. I mean, honestly. Oh, yeah. No, I was just talking, I just thought that the splits were interesting. How his catches dropped significantly in the second half of the year when the offense got better. Well, here's what I would counter he was a rookie. 
rookies hit that rookie wall usually in game yeah, 10 or 11. But, but we didn't see him do now, that running the ball, we, though. We, we didn't. We didn't. But I wonder if, by some stretch of the imagination, they did try to pace him a little bit during the final month and a half of the year because, after all, we knew the team was not going to the playoffs. We understood that Odell Beckham Jr. was out of the lineup and everybody and their mother in the stadium was going to key on Saquon Barkley. It wouldn't surprise me if, to some degree, just a little, they lightened his workload just a bit. So I think the the number could have an an effect involved in that number that maybe we're not seeing. All right, I don't want to go to my second topic because we've got a bank full of calls. So I'll, okay. give, I'll give you one more thing on Saquon very quickly. Yes. In your ideal world, let's say the Giants on average have, what, 75 offensive snaps a game? 70? Yeah, you know, now, yeah, it's about between 70 and 75 okay. nowadays. They're a little more than they used to be. Assuming it's around 75. Yeah, let's say 75 is a base good. Number. 75 is good. What percentage of those snaps do you think Saquon Barkley should be on the field? Oh, wow. Assuming it's not a blowout and it's a close game to the end. 65? That sounds like a good number to me. I mean, I, I, I haven't given that much thought, John, but my gut feeling, I'd, I probably, probably would want him on the field for at least two-thirds of the snaps. It oh, doesn't two-thirds for sure. It doesn't, Absolutely. It doesn't mean he's getting the ball that, that often. 100%. But... but I, I, I got to have him on the field for for at least, uh, I think, what, three, 70, 70%? 70? I, I think three quarters. I mean, if, if you're looking at if you're looking at uh, 75 plays, three quarters of 75 is about 16, 18. Uh, yeah, that, that would be about 75% of the plays would be about 57 out of 75. I, I don't have an objection to that. I think that's a little, I am, that might be a little bit low. Okay. Just think about it. If if he's sitting see, down for 18, 18 plays a game, that's see, a lot of plays. See, I don't know. I don't know what the scientific uh, metrics are telling them in terms of where his peak efficiency is. And by the way, they do have those. By the way, oh, they darn well have them. Yeah. So we're really spitballing. The Giants know from the data what the proper number of plays is. Correct, be. because they have physiological evidence based on the computer chips that are in the shoulder pads of exactly where his maximum efficiency is as an athlete. Well, to me, I'm going to let those things guide, and you would do it too. We're just kind of you shooting have to, numbers of out here. I, I, it would not surprise me if we're talking ballpark numbers and Wayne Gallman, uh, who, again, I happen to think a lot of Wayne Gallman. I think he can catch the ball. I think he can help out in pass pro. I think he's a good all-around He can all handle third down. Up. Sure. He can handle some short yardage stuff. I think Wayne Gallman's a quality player. So I'm not, I'm not looking at a huge, huge, steep, horrible efficiency drop-off. I'm not saying that Gallman and Barkley are the same player. But in terms of efficiency, what can you call in your playbook when Goldman is on the field? I don't think there's a huge drop-off no, there. No, Goldman's not killing you. He doesn't limit the playbook. He can do everything, just not at the level that Barkley can do. It. Right. So, you right. know, to me, it's not offensive if you tell me that Goldman's going to be on the field 25% of the time. I'm offended, of the time. I'm offended, I'm <laughs> 201-939-4513. It's all presented by Coors Light. Let's get to the phones. Very Matt philosophical Ro- today, John. Matt in Rockville Center will be next. Matt, what's going on? <laughs> Hey guys, how are you? Hi. Good topic for the day. Um, and while you guys were doing, I pulled up last year's schedule. You want to limit Barkley's carries? I look at the Atlanta game, 
the Tennessee game, even that Saints game, when you're down two scores with a minute and 45 seconds left in the game, do we really need to dump it down to him four times on the drive or yeah. have him have That's to go fair. Those are totally unnecessary. That's a good point. And body, you know, the defense is giving you yardage. There's not room for him to make sure. those plays. That's where Gallman comes in. Let him get beat up on those plays. I got a better really idea. Want... How about not be down by two scores late in the fourth quarter? <laughs> I was going to say, Paul, do the reverse. Be up two scores where you're running a four-minute yes. offense. Yes, And you can let Goldman take those carries late Ooh. in the game. Kind of a, the one time it's happened was that Redskins game, right? We were up about 30, right. one nothing, something like that at halftime. He played that first possession at halftime. He didn't see the field. So that, that would be the main thing. I, I would be careful. Surprising. I would be careful, Matt, if it's a meaningful game and it's only a score or two running the four minute offense taking Barkley out. But if you're looking at a right. at a three score contest, then hundred percent I'm with you. If if you're up two touchdowns with four minutes to go in the game, I'm sorry. He doesn't need to you don't need him out there for that. I mean look, if it's the playoffs or a late game divisional, that's one thing. If it's week six and you're home again, you know, week six, you know, you gotta trust him with your backups, otherwise why do you have him? No, I hear you. One guy that one guy that's out there, I'm surprised that they haven't been interested in because he can kind of be like the Stewart thing. I know he's coming off an injury, but Jay Ajayi to me is a, is a free agent back that can come in and be that short yardage guy. Paul mentioned it before. There is a big difference between third and one at your 50 and third and one on the goal line. It's not as physical a play in the 50. They have to worry about you passing. They're a little more backed up. There's more room to run. You know, so, but. Those plays you kind of want Barkley out there because it leaves it open. But third and one, you know, on the goal line, a guy like a Giant to me would be a perfect fit for the Giants. Well, remember something when a was sent uh, to the uh, to the Eagles, uh, he there were a lot of stories that I had heard through back channels, and this has nothing to do with the Giants per se, but NFL back channels told me. The reason they did that was because there was a chronic knee condition. He's got bad knees. And that's the reason why the Dolphins sent him to the Eagles in the first place. I, I've heard the same thing. So You guys think Brandon Jacobs can still uh, run? <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what. Brandon's a good buddy of mine, and, I, and, I, and I've told him a thousand times. I, I, wish he, I wish he could have played forever, you know. And by the way, Rod Smith is a guy they could use in short yardage situations, too. He's a former fullback. He's yeah, a big we got, guy. we got to see what happens with him. He's another interesting guy who's going to be on this roster. Uh, come training camp. So I guess what I'm saying to you is, no, Ajay, Ajay for me, I was told that, that he, he had limited shelf life anyway when he got to Philadelphia. So I appreciate the thought, but I don't know how many carries he's got left in those legs. Last thing, guys, I'm going to hang up after I say this, but you heard it here first. The Giants next year in free agency will sign Jadavion Clowney as their top free agent pickup. Have a good day, fellas. All right, thanks appreciate for the call. It. Well, he's under the franchise tag, so. And he's assuming he will not re-up in Houston, which he certainly could do. Well, I think a big deal for him is how healthy he stays this year, right? I mean, that's yeah. been a deal where he just can't play 16 games and, and be, you know, every time you look at the injury report on a Sunday, it's I know. Geneva and Clowney, questionable. Ankle, foot, knee, take your I pick. I know, I know, I know. So, you know, obviously the franchise tag will give Houston the luxury of getting an opportunity to buy time and see if, in fact, he can stay on the field. But, you know, <laughs> he's also proven that when he's on the field, he's really good. And they can tag him a second time, too. They could. They want. It gets, they really, could. It gets really expensive. I mean, mm-hmm. go ask the Cowboys and Demarcus Lawrence who end up giving that monster contract, too. It's hard to franchise a, a guy that's not a quarterback a second time. It gets really, really pricey. No doubt. 201-939-4513. 
Let's go back to the busy phones and say hello to Sergio in Arizona. Sergio, what's up? Hey, guys. How are you? Hi. Great. Good. I'd just like to start off um, uh, with a comment about uh, Dave Gettleman. Um, I have to say that, uh, as you know, he's been taking a beating in the media and social media and um, you know, heavily criticized for uh, picking Jones at six, and um, but you know, honestly, uh, I needed a day to digest that. But when I did, I, I can see why. I can see the reasons why he drafted him. It was a perfect fit uh, for this organization, and um, I just think that all his off-season moves. Um, you know, I see what he's trying to do. He's trying to get quality guys in. Um, and, you know, if you're going to be a player that's not, uh, you know, for the team, then uh, you're out. So I, I love all the moves he's making. And then um, so uh, my question is, uh, Sam Beal, you know, I'm excited about our new secondary. Um, you know, a lot of talk about the rookies. Um not just so much about Sam Beal. I'm trying. I'm curious to know what you guys think where he's going to fit in this season. Well, uh, he's going to compete for one of those outside cornerback spots. He's not a slot guy, in my opinion. His body type, you mm-hmm. know, just best outside corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sergio, I wish I could give you more on him. He literally had about three or four plays at practice last year that I watched, and he got hurt. And we haven't been out there to see him practice since then. So. Likely OTA start on Monday. We'll be out there. We can watch practice, and that's one of the guys I'll be watching. And hopefully, we can give you a better idea of where he is as a player. But he'll be out there competing with DeAndre Baker, Corey Ballantyne, uh, Julian Love for a spot in the cornerback rotation this year. And the Giants, as a former third round pick, you know, you hope that he's good enough to, to earn one of those spots. Here's the good news: the Giants should not have any trouble putting five defensive backs out on the field in obvious passing situations if they want to. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, we got some uh, really good uh, athletic guys in our secondary, and uh, I'm excited to see him play this year. Thank you, bud. Okay. Appreciate it. Let's go all the way down under. Say hello to Harrison out in Australia. Harrison, what's up? Hey, guys. I'm a long-time listener. I love the show. Hi. Thanks for calling. I've got uh, two questions for you guys. Sure. The the first one is which player in their second year do you reckon will have the biggest jump forward? For me, I reckon it's BJ Hill. Um, I think last year he broke the you know rookie sack record um, or something like that. Um, and I believe with you know Dexter Lawrence coming in there playing the, the nose tackle and hopefully Marcus Golden can get back to that form that he had before he had that ACL injury. I really reckon he can kind of become a defensive stud for us. And then my second question is, which I'll then take it off the air, is which undrafted free agent from this year, do you reckon can have a similar type of impact that, say, like a Tay Davis and a Grant Haley made of last year where they can come in, make a really um, strong case for himself and really compete to make the uh, the 53? Okay. Uh, Thank you, you, Harrison. Appreciate the call. You know, it seems to me, and and I understand the question because the Giants had a a number of guys last year who, who had, you know, really nice rookie seasons, but Lorenzo Carter, John, to me, is that guy. Now you took my answer. I'm with you. I mean, because let's face it, this team desperately needs more pass rush, and he's one of the guys they're going to heavily lean on. So they're going to give him every chance to make a huge jump, don't you think? I'm going to say something that people are probably going to roll their eyes at, but I'll say it anyway. After Saquon Barkley, 
Lorenzo Carter might be the best athlete on this team. Oh, he is a stud. No, he might be the best raw athlete. You know, we talk. We have our guy Kent on every year talking about the RAS scores. So they do the composite combine. Yeah, did he give him a good number? A, he was 10. He was literally the best combination of size, athletic performance of any outside linebacker in combine history, according to RAS scores. And that doesn't measure length, or does it? It, it measures length, too? size, and results on your uh, testing. I mean, he's a freak show. He really is a specimen, and I, I would be, I would be really, really happy for him because he is a good kid. Very good. He's kid. worked very hard. Very astute football guy. Uh, comes out of you know terrific Georgia program. I'd love to see him make a jump in year two to where he becomes not just a good, reliable starter, but a star player. I'd love to see it. Now, here's the thing. There are a lot of really great athletes and freaks in the NFL that never turn that into production. So we saw him last year be better as an off linebacker that covers mm-hmm. a little bit and does a lot of different things, which is what he did at Georgia, which makes sense. That's what he was good at to start. Now, can he turn that physicality, athleticism into pass rush proficiency? That's the question. It takes a lot of technique work, and it might take a year or two to get there, maybe three. Who knows? Because he hasn't done a whole lot. But he's a guy that's capable. And if there was a guy that I think was going to stick out, it would be him. I'm with you. He has one advantage, John, that a lot of those athletes who don't pan out don't have, and that is he really has fun playing the game. Some Bless you. Some of these guys who are great athletes – they do look at the game more as a job, and they, it's a chore, and and they're not going out there and having fun. And as a result, their attitude does affect maybe the way they pick things up, the way they learn, the way they develop, the way they enhance their skills and max out their potential. This guy has fun. Lorenzo Carter has fun playing the game. And that attitude, in my opinion— could could give him that extra edge in terms of maxing out where some guys who look like Adonis's don't. But that's that's strictly a haphazard guess on my part just based on my interaction with him. All right, let's go to his second question, which is about undrafted free agents. This is one of our favorite things to talk about. Yeah, though. it is. Uh, we haven't seen these guys enough to really make a, a, a firm call mm. yet, especially during rookie minicamp. You know, we're trying to watch draft picks. It's hard mm-hmm. to watch everybody at once. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had to pick a guy, and I think I answered this yesterday too, I'd pick the linebacker out of Texas El Paso, Josiah Taalfa. I think he's a guy that'll be a special team contributor immediately. Um, and we'll see if he can compete with, with Ryan Conley and B.J. Goodson to try to figure out a way to get on the field on defense at some point during the year. He would be the one guy that I think is the best chance of sticking. That That's not a bad guess. Um, you know, I, I pick a dark horse after rookie camp every year, and I wanted to pick Dungy, Eric Dungy, the Syracuse quarterback and jack-of-all-trades. But because everybody publicized him and wrote articles about him, I don't think he can be a dark horse, I, right? I, because he's too pumped. As, as the next Swiss Army knife. Am I missing something? I, I, I don't see it. I don't see it. Are they going to use them like, ta- is it like the whole Taysom Hill thing? Is that's, that what it that's is? That's the thing. That's yeah. the thing. Uh, talking to Fiegels about it, uh, there's a possibility he'll be the personal protector. Uh, that would be a way to get him onto the roster. And once you get him onto the roster, you can use him in any capacity yeah, possible. Yeah, but the beauty of Taysom Hill, though, is that he can actually play receiver. Well, the thought is that Dungy, with his frame, and he has a rather large frame, they're listing him as a slash tight yeah, end at 6'4", 220. Yeah, but he's never done it before. Again, I get it, but there's a reason he's here. 
No, I know, and they're going to give know. him a shot. But to me, anyway, I, I have to see him actually do that in practice once. Yep, just once. Yep, because he didn't do that during rookie minicamp. Uh, he no, was a he straight did. quarterback. He was a straight. quarterback. So until I see him do that other stuff, and I think he's actually capable of doing it, I'm not going to get excited about it. Maybe he'll be great at it, and I hope he is. But until I see it, understood. I'm not buying. But but there was enough of pub about him, so I'm going to disqualify him from my That's my, fair. my pick. Okay, I'm going with C.J. Conrad. Uh, this tight end is uh, is very well built. Do you think they keep him four tight ends this year? Then uh, wouldn't shock me if he either sticks as the fourth or or beats out Simonson, beats Mountain, the number mm, three guy. Interesting. I I like what I saw from him. I really like his toughness. Um, I did go back a little bit and did a little homework on him, and he's he's a football player. He's one of those guys who's just a big, strong son of a bee, the kind of guy who would be the uh, the bouncer at the bar, you know what I mean? One of those kinds of guys. You don't you don't want to mess with him on the field. He's 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 this this guy's gonna hurt you. So I'm I got my eye on him. We'll see. Very interesting. Um, yeah. And by the way, Harrison, call back anytime. You know me. I I love all the different accents calling into the show. <laughs> I think that's our first Australian. We've gotten Irish. We've gotten Scottish. We've gotten English. We've gotten mm. some people from Asia. I think that might be our first Australian. You know, when Brad Wing was here, I could have sworn we had somebody. Yeah, you could be right. We might have. Anyway, but Harrison, anyway. call back. I'll make sure I get you on right away if you do, because you're calling long distance. Another show, it's, though. It's tough. Another show. Yeah, not not today. <laughs> he knows that. He, knows, okay. he doesn't have to, Come on. No one wants to call long distance twice like that anyway mm-hmm. on the same day. Let's go to Dave in Cranford, New Jersey. He's us next. Dave, what's going on? Good to hear from you guys, Paul and John. Hey, good to Hi. hear from you. The um, I, I was thinking you guys had a great debate last week. It, it was actually awesome. I love when the two of you go at it. Okay. Um, and you were you were talking about it, and there's there's a point to this team that I think is what you guys were touching on, and that was just kind of the different way that teams were back in the you know mid '80s and and '90s. And and Paul, you were kind of making the point of kind of the dynasty teams, and John, you were kind of going the other direction, saying, "Hey, I kind of like the." The parody side. I and, think this might have been and, Lance and Paul. I don't think this was okay. me, but that's okay. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. That's I'm okay. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> one is, thing you know, you're right about. I'm going to be the old school yeah, that, guy. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lock. I, I, I get that, and John's taller than Lance, so let's just you know we'll put that out there. So. <laughs> and better. Um, um, but I, I guess my point is this, guys. As you look at this team in this environment, whoever was this, debating it. I just think that this giant team, because of things that they have addressed, everybody wants to talk about in the media today the things that, you know, walked out the door. And, and, and there's a lot of headlines and there's a lot of noise around what's walked out the door. I, I look at it in, in two areas of improvement for this team. One is the step up of the first-year to second-year players um, right. and, and what you could expect. And, and, and I count Grant Haley in that list, and I, and I look at – you know, four, five, six guys, one of which is the best player on the field in Barkley. And so it's a little crazy to think about what his step up looks like because he's at such a high level. You to know, begin Dave, with. Dave, Dave, it's funny, real quick. I actually asked the Giants running backs coach, Craig Johnson, that very question about Barkley last week. And that'll be in a podcast that we post with all the assistants. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, the jump's not going to be in production. 
It's going to be in being better at preparing for the games, mentally, making mm-hmm. sure you don't make any mistakes, Smart. understanding what it takes to get through a 16-game season. All those experiences he had last year, making him better at the little things. And we'll see how that reflects on overall numbers, but that's where you're going to see the jump from Barkley in year two, Dave. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Well, Coach Shula, yeah, yeah. I should add, Coach Shula also said the other day, last week when, when he was at the media session, that he thought the big jump for Barkley uh, will be in his route-running stuff. I can yep. see that. As that part of a sense. passing yeah. game because they really introduced that to him last year, and he will grow in that area more so probably than any other area on the field besides the intangibles that John's talking yeah. about. Go ahead, Dave. I'm sorry. No, no. You, I love it. You guys are 100% right. And But then you go to Will Hernandez and you go to Carter, who you guys just talked about, and, you know, um, you know, Beal and McIntosh are kind of like two rookies almost in, in the sense that no, sure they are. a little bit of time. No, they're both, no but, they, they are both definitely like rookies, Dave. You're 100% right. And, and, and then, then you go to the rookie class and you think that we can get, you know, three or four, um, you know, in, you know, players, uh, you know, in terms of, of that rookie class between love and, and, and the D tackle and Baker, you know, uh, maybe Conley as well. And my point is when you start to put those two groups together to this team, you start to see about 10 or 11 guys that, that really could be impact players. And, and, and I guess I would just leave you with this one last thought last year. I remember calling in and you guys talking about it cut down day last year or at least really three days it was or almost a week yeah it was. I mean, it was the most it was like the most amazing time i mean the giants overturned the bottom of their roster at a level that i had never seen any team do yeah, let tw- alone the giants Dave, 20 percent of the roster changed in a week 20 percent. it was nuts and, and, and i just don't i guess my point would be you know, while I wouldn't say that they couldn't bring in, you know, I don't know, a role player, a tackle. I mean, they can obviously do that. I just don't see that same number. And and I think as much as they needed to do that, I don't think it was it, it was them talking about the depth of the roster. I don't see the same thing this year. And I think that's going to help with some continuity and just kind of going into the season and getting off to a better start. I'd, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on that. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, look, whenever and, and we talked to both the offensive and the defensive coaches last week, and every one of them, from the coordinators to the position coaches, all stressed how much further ahead everybody is at this point in 2019 than where they were in 2018. And not just the players, by the way, the coaches too, who are trying to learn the system last year for the first time coming in and doing things. So, yeah, there's no question that doing it that way and being in this for the second year will help both sides for the returning players. Now, there's only 30-something returning players, so you're going to have a lot of guys on this roster that are new, mm-hmm. but it will help the guys that are coming back. When you talk about turnover, the whole key to turnover, especially with a team that's under renovation, is you want as large a number of quality young players as you can possibly get your hands on. And what what I kind of laugh at were those critics who, who Rip Gettleman for, you know, a percentage of his moves and said, well, oh, a mom, I didn't work out. Or they moved flowers and that didn't work out. Uh, you know, they signed uh, Stewart or, or Connor Barwin. I get it. There, there were going to be, when you change over like 75% of the roster, there's going to be a bunch of guys who don't work out. That's just math. Okay, that's going to happen. So I ask you, those critics, I ask you, did you want them to keep the bulk of the roster the same after it failed miserably the year before? Did you not want him to get younger and less expensive 
and at least have some more upside on the roster? I mean, it's laughable. You can't have it both ways. And in, in response to his comment more directly, yeah, John, you're right. There's only a certain amount of guys who have been brought back from last year's team. But of those guys who have been brought back to the 90-man roster, I don't think we're going to see a ton of them jettisoned because those guys are, for the most part, keepers. Were you surprised that they let go of Robert Martin? Yes, I was, except that within 24 hours, they signed Rod Smith. So they must have... Well, obviously, those two moves were connected. but They had something going on there. I liked what I saw from Martin last year. So did I. In practice. So did I. I mean, look, John, uh, really good preseason out of him. And I and I think, by the way, again, I don't know the behind the scenes or folder things that may have, uh, you know, inhibited his possibilities of staying here. But if I'm an NFL team, I'd want Robert Martin in my training camp. I threw this out to Lance yesterday. How about this? Talking about Rod Smith. We haven't really talked about it together yet. No. What if he's here to as much to compete with Elijah Penny as he is to compete with Wayne Gallman? Oh, Smith I, was a fullback in college. Yeah. Oh, I I don't think he's here to compete with Gallman or or compete for that third running back yeah. spot. Whatever. But I, I, I think, think I, like he he might could, be on the roster and Penny might not be because those oh, and, and could this, be. The Smith can catch too. Yes. Those two guys are very similar. Yes. Oh, I agree. If that if that was your suggestion, I totally agree. He he's competing with either Penny or he's competing with Paul Perkins as the third running back. I don't think he's competing with Gallman at all. I to me, do you think they could keep four? I don't. Iffy, iffy, very iffy. Especially if they're going to keep Dungy as a wild card. Yeah, that's a good point too. I think I forgot about that. You know, yeah. Uh, but but for me, Goldman, I wouldn't say he's like cemented in like Barkley is, but I think Goldman would have to would have to really screw up to lose the number two job. I agree. I just meant more. He could be seen as not just a running back, but as a running back slash fullback too in that role. Yeah, I I don't have a problem with that. Let's go to Rudy in New York. He's up next on Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by Coors Light. What's up, Rudy? Hey, guys. How are you? Good. Hi. Good, good. Um, I haven't had a chance to call in a long time. You know, I listen every day, and I really enjoy the show. You guys do an awesome job. Thank Appreciate you. that. Thank and you. Thank you for the draft work, too, because it kept me sane during the offseason. <laughs> thank you, Rudy. Um, yeah, but it made us insane. It did, yeah. <laughs> it does every yeah. year, man. It's, it's fun, a lot though. Of fun, we though. love it. We love yep. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you just give me a moment, I have like a few questions or two questions I want to ask you guys. Yeah, we got time. We got time. Go ahead. Yeah, you got time. All right. Cool. So my my rant then is this. I've been online and look, you know, these quote unquote uh, Giants fans, they talk about how Eli is done and how bad he is, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things that I can deal with that because people have their opinions and I really don't care. I'm an Eli guy all the way. Like, I think he's still got it. I think with a better O-line and a, and a better defense to stop helping us lose games, we'll, we'll be all right. Now, here's my problem with some comments that some fans have said. One guy that I kind of went back and forth with yesterday made a comment that it's Eli's fault that wide receivers have gotten hurt. And I'm thinking to myself, how? How is that even possible? Did Eli hit them himself? You know what I mean? Like, well... What the guy probably means, there, there are quarterbacks who will throw passes that are dangerously erratic to where right. receivers are put in harm's way, either over the middle or stretching out on the sideline and getting whacked in the ribs, et cetera, et cetera. Well, and, and when Odell hurt his ankle, it was on a high pass. But to blame that on the quarterback is just it's, silly. Yeah. It's silly. Right. Eli is not that. in that category. 
and I get that because I, I personally believe that Eli throws the ball a lot of times low in a way to help protect some of our receivers, but that's just my opinion. You know, whatever. Unless he's being pressured in the pocket or he's getting hit while he's thrown, as we know he's been getting done for the last couple of years. But um, anyway, I'm just, you know, that that's just me venting. I'm just annoyed with, with how people keep attacking Eli. Just come on, like, give the guy a chance. You can't throw from, from sitting on your butt or on your back when you keep getting hit every every game. Um, but anyway, so my my points, though, that I do um, want to get your opinion on are these things. Um, we talk about our defense and getting sacks, um, and I know that we got uh, 30 sacks last year, right? Now, what are your opinions on, one, worthy sacks? Because there's times where we're out of the game or, you know, it's a sack that we'll get that, it doesn't do anything for us to get the ball back or to even win a game. You know, it's like throwaway sacks basically being part of the stat. And two, you know, if we got 30 worthy sacks, you know, wouldn't you rather that than 30 or than 40, let's say 45 <laughs> in general sacks? No, nah, Rudy, I hear what you're saying. It's just it's impossible to calculate, and, and I would have to go back and look at every individual sack and see when in the game they happen. Now, yeah. there are some right. sacks, and this is how I look at it with, with, with players, individual players, not the team necessarily. There are right. sacks that quarterbacks will run into where I will look at a play, and I don't grade people. That's not what I do, but I'm, when I'm watching tape and I see a sack, and even though a defensive lineman might get credit for that sack, if the quarterback is flushed out of the pocket and runs right into the guy, I'm not going to say, oh, what a great play. He got a sack. The quarterback right. ran into him. He even beat his guy. So for me, I look at it more from an individual basis where there are guys some years where they finish with eight or nine sacks, and you're like, boy, he's never had all that many sacks before. How do you do it? And then you look at the actual sacks, and you're like, oh, now I get it. There was a screen pass right. where nobody blocked him. This offensive lineman fell down. There was a Mr. Simon here. He had a free runner. So there are a lot of cheap sacks for individual players, but I think it's really hard to figure out when sacks in games are important and, and, and when they're not. And remember this, too. Well, I, when, remember this, too, Rudy. When you're down by a lot of points— other teams aren't passing the ball. So when you're getting blown out, you're not going to get a lot of sacks, but other teams are running it. They're not right. going to take right. you know deep drops. I mean, look, right. this and you know, Rudy, it is Rudy, right? Yeah. Rudy, yeah. this is why I don't buy so much of these analytics guys because right. so much of them are just pure numbers, black and white, let's throw them at you, and, and there's not a lot of context involved in these things, very often at least. So, you know, I, I came up with, a, with a, uh, a term, and I call it empty statistics. I came up with that during the Carlton Bailey era when he was a linebacker here, when Dan Reeves was the Giants quarterback. And Carlton Bailey used to compile a lot of tackles. He did it with the Bills before the Giants signed him as a free agent. Yeah, he was on those Bills Super Bowl teams. Right. He was. Mm -hmm. And the thing was, so Carlton Bailey comes to the Giants with these great stats, and then all of a sudden we're watching him play. And it's like, okay, yeah, he's getting a lot of tackles, but... But it's six yards down the field. Exactly. <laughs> Carlton right, Bailey right. would never get stops for no gain, would never get tackles for losses. And by the way, when it was third and two, he was making the tackle after four-yard gains and the chains were moving. And that's not yeah, good. Correct. And so I decided that I was going to term those numbers empty stats. When guys are, I guess Francesa likes to call them compilers, although that's for more duration than yeah, it is correct, anything yeah. else. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm calling a, a guy compiler. who compiles stats that aren't effectively helping you win, I define that as empty stats. 
Right. So you're, okay. you're asking, you're asking, I guess, is it great if you have 50 sacks, but they're empty sacks, empty stats? I don't know right. that we could, we could really dissect that right now based on what the tools we have available to us. But I get your point. Empty stats right. really stink because they don't help you win. Right, right, and exactly, and and that 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 was you know my point. It's like I would rather have let's say twenty sacks that help us win games than fifty pointless sacks. You know what I mean? That's anyway. That's just my point. But oh, that's fair. The last two quick things, and I'll take it off the air. Um, is opinion about pick six that we just got? You know, Jones. Look, we need a future quarterback. No matter how good Eli still is, how much he throws, we do need to think about our future. So I'm not mad at the pick. I did want a defenseman, but hey, we got a quarterback for the future. So let's look at as, you know, Gettleman got us more than one pick in the first round, and we got our defenseman in the first round. So that that sixth pick to me was a thank you, we'll take it, you know, and then let's see what we could do with the guys that we do have on the rest of those round one picks. Now, the one thing I did want to ask you guys, and I'll take it up the air, is which wide receiver do you think we have right now um, outside of the starters, whether it's unsigned or, you know, kind of like the four, fifth, six guys on the team, do you think has that elusiveness that, let's say, Cruz had when he came out of nowhere and became like a star with the Giants? Thanks, Rudy. Appreciate the call, bud. Thank you. Um, yeah. Boy, I don't want to put anyone on Victor Cruz's level because he was yeah, special. That's dangerous. But I guess, you know what? If you just want to go by raw numbers and how they perform athletically, the guy you got to look at is Corey Coleman, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do. I mean, I mean he's the guy. The the guy's physical school uh, tools and his speed and quickness is probably unmatched by any other receiver on this roster. You couldn't Slayton's say Slayton from close. Auburn. Yeah, he's, he's well. You ran a four three seven, right? right? Three eight, I think. Yeah. You know, so I mean, I get that, but to to be the Victor Cruz package, you got to be a lot more than than just what we talked about. Yeah, and Slayton's more straight ahead speed than I think he is side to side quicks. Agree. Cruz was more side to side quicks than he was straightaway speed. Cruz had, Cruz had moves, man. Oh my god, yeah. What he had me? what a route runner. Well, oh. he, well, that was his side. That was his stop and go side to side ability to change direction. He was just great out of breaks and I think Corey Coleman has that ability. Now, let's see if he can put it together. This is his fourth team now. Yeah, I think so. So, fourth team in 4 years for a first round pick, not a great sign usually. No. But he'll be given another opportunity and see if he can stay healthy, which has been another problem he's had over the course of his career, and give the Giants something. We'll see. You know what? Can can I just say one thing here, John, about Victor Cruz? No. No, I I really need to. Okay, go ahead. Victor Cruz, I know he was hyped when he was at the top of his game, but I think we quickly forgot about how special he really was when we saw Beckham make superhuman plays. And I think that then became the new flavor of the month. And I don't take anything away from what Beckham did. His athleticism was off the charts. Oh, my God. He was electrifying, of course. He really was electrifying. That's a great word for it. Great word for it. Electrifying. But you know what? Before him, Victor Cruz was a damn good receiver. And he was electrifying in his own right. When we would go to opposing football stadiums and the place would rock when he would catch a touchdown pass or a first down. They'd all be chanting, oh, Cruz, And he did the salsa. Cruz. I mean, besides the Eli jerseys, which people have had now for 15 years or however long it's been, we saw more Cruz jerseys than any other player at road games, and it wasn't close. I mean, just go back and look at some of those those clips from, for instance, the 2007 season. I mean, the 11, 11 season. Yeah. The 11 mm-hmm. season. I'm going back real far now. It's okay. But the 2007 season, and look. 11 season. Look, 
The 11 season again. <laughs> Thank you, John. Oh, my goodness. I'm really getting lost here in the throwback machine. But 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 funny. watch some of Victor Cruz's greatest plays as a giant. They are spectacular. Yeah, they're great. I mean, he really was special. A lot more special than people, I think, want to remember because they were overwhelmed by Beckham. And it's going to be one of those footnotes, though, where his three dominant years were special. And then the injury just wipes it out. Well, and, and it's a rough game that way, where you have like you know you go back and talk about Gail Sayers did it for longer, but he was electrifying for what, yeah, seven years, yeah, and well, then he was he was just done, you know. And and to some degree, okay, not on the same level. Hakeem Nicks was really fun to watch. You know what's funny though? Not quite the same. I never not as dynamic. I yeah, I never. That's a good word. I never found him to be dynamic. He would make contested catches. He would do back shoulder stuff. He never looked like he was running fast, but he would somehow always catch the ball and make big plays. So he yes. did it. He, Hakeem Nicks almost did it in a boring way. So productive though. Oh no, re- really good receiver, and he had. If people don't realize how many foot problems he had. And leg problems he had, incredible which just amount of injuries, his athleticism away. Yeah. But it happens. That's why it's a, it's just a rough, rough game that way sometimes. Which is why I consider durability a major component when I talk about how great a player is. Has to be. Which is the one thing that people always overlook about Eli Manning, even though they talk about his consecutive game streak. When they start talking about him as a Hall of Famer, they never talk about the durability factor. They say, well, look at his look at his one loss record. Oh, it's only around five hundred. It's not good enough to be a Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah, he threw too many interceptions. Oh, he didn't win enough playoff games. Okay, stick it. Okay, just stick it. That's an accent I don't need to hear again. Okay. By the way. Anthony at Charlestown. He's up next. Anthony, what's going on? <laughs> Hello, fellas. Hi, Anthony. Hello. Save me. Hey. Um, so yeah, in Char- I'm down here in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just want to talk about the defensive scheme. So, uh, Schmelk, I think you wrote an article last year, right, when uh, when Betcher came in about what he would bring to the table. Yeah, and yeah, you know, in, in, in terms of, yeah. like, blitz percentages and, and, and stuff like that, right? It, it was nuts. Everyone should read it because I think it was over 40% of the time he would blitz, which is an unbelievable number. And uh, – when I saw the draft, obviously everyone wanted edge rusher, but I, you know, I played in like a Virginia Tech style, you know, college system where, you know, you did blitz and you blitz from everywhere. Um, and so, if anyone hasn't, they should go check out that article. So, the you know team what? that we have, hey, by the way, if, 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 for that. yeah, if you want to go on Google and just Google James Betcher and Schmelk, it was actually the first thing that popped up. I just did it, and I could tell yeah. you, uh, the year before he got to the Giants, he was at thirty-seven percent. He was over 40% the two seasons prior to that. And in 2015, he blitzed 47% of the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's ridiculous so, numbers. Yeah. And so, so you can run a 3-3-5, right? You can run the 3-4. Sure. But you have, that oppor- you have that opportunity. I mean, so it makes sense when you have Lawrence and Tomlinson in the middle. So you push the pocket up the middle. Then you can run dogs from the outside and the inside. And you like to pressure with your safety, i.e. Jabril Peppers, right? Um, and I played that same position. It it is a fun position to play. Okay, in now general. and there's a one component though, and it's the biggest component of all that you're missing in that equation, and that is when you send those guys, they've got to be quick enough and elusive enough to get home, because when they don't, 
You can send them every play if you want to, and you'll get your lights handed to you. You also need the corners to be able to cover man-on-man in the back well, end, that too. too. Yeah. That, too. No question. And, and see, my problem a lot with what the Giants were doing, when they sent guys, and people would say, well, why isn't Betcher doing what he used to do with the Cardinals? Well, you if, the you, personnel if you it. watched, he didn't have the personnel. And quite frankly, no. how many times was a Giants blitzer either a half a step or a full step late in getting home. Yeah, and I got to be honest. It's just not, that's not, we're going to work. You watched the Giants defense last year, and, and and I think this goes to your point, Anthony. It did not look like the James Betcher defense we saw in It didn't, Arizona. really. It didn't. It, really, it, it, did it not. just didn't. It did not. Not, not at all. all. You'll have one-on-one you'll have one-on-one matchups. So if Carter comes off the edge and whoever you have, BJ, playing you know, the five technique, you'll have one-on-one matchups with the tackling guard. You can stun from the other side. You also have the safety coming in. I mean, it allows you to be a lot more dynamic. It cuts down the time to throw. And just knowing that when you, if you're a played quarterback ever and you've got guys coming pretty much at full speed because you're off the line, it's one of the benefits of a 3-4 outside linebacker. Mm-hmm. You do have a head of steam when you're going. And, you're and so essentially you just, need, you just need one-on-one matchup wins. And so and they didn't get enough of those. The other side that does it, though. Yeah, 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 absolutely, Anthony. You're 100% right, and I appreciate the call, man. Thanks a lot. I got two more calls. I see I you guys. Appreciate it. Right. I, I want to make sure I get everybody else in. But, yeah, look, and that's what Betcher said to us last year, and I spoke to him in the preseason, and I said, you know, when you try to blitz, and I asked him about the concept of trying to manufacture pressure, and he goes, look, John, when I blitz, if I get a free runner, that's great. My blitzes are designed to set up guys to win one-on-one, just like mm-hmm. Anthony talked about. But then mm-hmm. the guy's got to go, and he's, and he's got to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. So who's going to be that guy that can win one-on-one when Betcher's blitzes set up those one-on-one matchups? That's the question. No, and, you know, and then when you do get occasionally an overload with a free guy, he's got to be quick enough to get there. Yeah. And, and that, what I was going to say— and by, the really, way, and by the way, beat the running back. And what I wanted to add is that there were too many times last year— where the Giants actually had a mismatch at the line. And you saw the free blitzer was clean, and he still didn't get there in time. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, yeah, the, you got you got to finish. You got to make the play. And it's okay to beat a tight end or a running back. Yeah. Like, that should be a big defensive advantage. If they're sending a tight end or a running back to, to block one of your blitzers on all on a DB, take advantage. Win. Win. You got to win. Eventually... Pat Shermer, this is one of his, he doesn't use a lot of cliches, but this is one of them he uses. This is a man-beat-man type of business. Yeah, that's for sure. You got to beat the guy in front of you. That's how you win. Brandon in New Jersey is up next. What's up, Brandon? Hey, what's going on, man? Hi. What's up? All right, this, this is my first time calling this since the draft happened. Great. You no, know, I, you know, I wasn't a big fan of the quarterback situation, but it is what it is, and I understand the pick. My thing is, I feel like now that overall, historically, all these years that everybody was saying that we was going to be good, this year we're hearing a lot that we're not going to be good. You're right. Me personally, I feel like the Giants play the best when people are against us. And me personally, I feel like Eli Manning is going to have the greatest uh, season of his career since 2011. It's so much I feel like he's so motivated right now. My question is, this is the thing. They saying they want Daniel Jones to sit and wait. Now, if Eli comes out and have a good season, a great season, and he's only had one year left on his contract, and they saying that I don't really trust Gettleman because historically his words doesn't add up. 
Now, is they going to do justice and re-sign Eli, which I don't think they're going to do because you saw you you just you drafted then you in the first round. So you basically saying if even even if Eli played good this season, it's a chance that he still might not even come back. Well, Brandon, I'll so, say this, Brandon. I, I think there are three components to this equation. The first component is how well does Eli play. The mm-hmm. second component is how many games do the Giants win mm-hmm. with Eli. And the third component is what is Daniel Jones showing them in practice? Those are the three components, and they're going to take those three things, and that's how they're going to make that decision. There are too many variables to really discuss this right now. I would only say I think the possibilities are really wide open. And another thing I want to add is this. I feel like we need – I feel like the defense is pretty good shape. I feel like the Giants need this going to wait and to see – and who uh, another pass rusher is going to get released. I believe that we need one more pass rusher because I, I believe we got uh, Marcus Golston and Lorenzo Carter at um, X-Men in the rotation. I believe we need one more pass rusher, and I believe the defense should be ready to go. In the right tackle position, Mike Reynolds could fulfill it for at least a year until we be able to draft a uh, 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 right tackle next season to hold that mm-hmm. spot down this one year. Hey, Brandon, and the I, one thing I've learned, I, I by the way... that the team is in overall good shape, and they've been counting us out, and I believe that the Giants can have a very good, mm-hmm. solid season, especially how the, uh, the schedule adds up. I see us going 6-2 and two in the first half, and overall, we could finish at least 11-5, 11-5 or close to 12-4, if everything could go correctly. Brandon, you're, you're asking for a lot. Here's, thanks for the call, pal. Here's what I will it. say. There, there is certainly a lack of proven pass rush on this team right now, and I think you would agree, John. There's a lack. There's a lack of proven okay. coverage on the team too, Paul. <clears throat> yeah, well, a lot of youngsters back there. Now, I'm not saying they don't have the potential, but a lot of youngsters proven. No, 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 no. A lot of youngsters who are going to immediately be thrown into the deep end of the pool. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but, but in terms of Brandon's other comment about Eli having a great season, if Eli has a terrific season, and his best since 2011. It's because this will be the best offensive line he's had since 2011. I mean, it's really that simple. 201-939-4513. Big Blue Kickoff Live has been presented by Coors Light. Charlie in Portland, Maine will wrap us up today. Hi, Chuckles. Charlie. Hey, John. Hey, Paul. How are you? Welcome back, John. Thank you. Hope you had a good vacation. I was only off two days last week. Not much of a vacation, but I'll. I'll <laughs> I, and my daughter was sick, so it really wasn't a vacation. Oh, that's never good. I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, ear infections stink. Let me just leave it oh, at that. Yeah. And by the way, I, now, 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 you guys have. Exp- I don't know, Charlie. I don't think you have any kids, right, Charlie? But, but, no. but, but, Paul does. The antibiotics she's taken. She's so hyper. The last three nights, she hasn't fallen asleep till nine o'clock. Yeah. She falls asleep at seven usually. Nine o'clock. Running yeah. around like a lunatic. Yeah. It's killing me. Yeah. <laughs> That's like me when I was a baby. put in a little uh, rush in there, you know? Oh, like, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, I, uh, the other th- you, you know, the thing that you could do is you can give me a little tiny bit of melatonin. That that will put her to sleep. It's a natural, but very little for a little kid. But Char- Charlie, the pharmacist, at it again. <laughs> I wouldn't hey, trust hey, him I as far as I could throw him. A, no chance. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Charlie. Yes. is coming back. And what? I'm telling you, he's been in the Annika chamber every day for a week. And his knees, his legs, his ankles are like a 25-year-old. Charlie, you're joking, right? <laughs> yes, I am. Okay, because I will tell you something. <laughs> I saw Akeem Nix recently. He stopped by the facility. 
and he has bulked up. He looks like a tight end now. By the way, you know wow. he you know he's been going to throw with Eli in the offseason yes. still, right? Yes, he yeah. has. Mm-hmm. Yes, he has. So if if there was anything to that, and I don't think that there is as far as I know. He really had too many injuries over the years. It would be as a tight end because he's bulked up now. I don't see him being Is he really that big? Yes. Well then the you know, remember he, I bet yes. you I bet you he lives in North Carolina, right? But that's where he went yes. to school. As far and as that's I know. where Eli does his throwing sessions. That's why Pakeem probably goes yeah, to Yeah, to, to me, he looks more like uh, you know, David Boston than than he does Hakeem Nix now. He's so, he's bulked up. Good weight. Hey, oh uh, yeah, he's solid. Solid. Hey, uh, now, you know, wouldn't this, isn't this a possibility? You know, we're trying to find, they might try to find a spot for Dungy, who is a quarterback, but also, you know, a trickster kind of guy. How about having him as the third quarterback on the team, Jones and Eli, and then you save that spot, and you don't have to get rid of the fullback, and you have a third emergency quarterback? I like the idea, Charlie, but here's the glitch. That's actually a fairly good suggestion. Oh, it's a, ter- it's a terrific idea. Lance and I talked about it last week. Here's the problem. Pat Shermer has expressed a strong preference for having a veteran backup Thank who you, can Charlie. come Appreciate off it. the bench with little or no preparation and still run your offense effectively. He's, I- he's really – how many times has he said to us about how much he really values Alex Tanney because of his experience? Well, I'm going to throw this out there, too. I've talked to some people around here, and – they all, to a person, rave about Tanny's almost like a virtual quarterback's coach in the room. Yeah. And while Eli is getting ready for games and Daniel Jones will be watching him and following him and learning by absorbing what Eli's doing. Again, that's not a teacher-student relationship. That's a Daniel Jones absorb what Eli's doing and watch him do his sponge. thing. Sponge. Thank you. While that's happening... Alex Tanny can be more like a teacher-student deal with him. Because yeah. Tanny's not getting ready to play. Who knows? He might, he might be the third quarterback. We don't know how that's even going to work on game days, if Tanny's going to be active or not. We don't know how that's going to function yet. But Tanny's a guy that's been around the league. He's very smart. He knows the offense. That's a guy that can almost take a coaching teacher role with a guy like Daniel Jones, more like Eli, who has to worry about going out there and win football games. Yeah, Tanny truly is more of a player coach, is what you're saying. And I just don't know that Pat Shermer is going to be interested in giving up that spot. Yeah, I don't know either. It's a good question. Paul, good stuff. Yeah, it was fun today. Real right, fun. Tomorrow, you're with Feagles, if I'm not mistaken, yes. correct? So t- tune into that. And then Monday, we have our first day of OTAs. And the better news, OTAs are in the morning. So we can actually talk about what happens out in the practice field on Big Blue Kickoff. It's fantastic. So tune into that. But again, tomorrow noon, it's the Tino and Feagles. And I want to remind you guys, too, by the way, our new podcast, The Giants Huddle, has a new episode up. It's an interview with Marcus Golden. Mm. Lance Meadows sat down with him. We went around 15 minutes, talked a lot about his history, his past with football, recovering from that ACL a couple years ago. And he basically said this time last year, I mean, he could barely walk around. So he hopes to have a real bounce back year for the Giants in, in 2019. For Paul Dottino, I'm John Schmelk. And again, make sure you check out the Giants Huddle. You can find that on all your podcast platforms. And you can also find Big Blue Kickoff Live on your podcast platforms as well on the New York Giants audio feed. We'll see you tomorrow. Adios.